And you are listening to WMNF Tampa, WMNF 88.5 FM. We are your community radio station. Thank you so 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 much for being out there. Support for WMNF comes from listeners like you. And the 2022 Tampa Fringe, a festival running July 28th through August 7th in Ybor City. It's a chance to binge on the performing arts. All shows are an hour or less with theater, burlesque, comedy, storytelling, opera, improv, kids' shows, and more. Info at tampafringe.org. We're actually not going to be playing a ton of music today because we've got so many good interviews. We just want to chat with people. Before getting going on that, I do want to thank everyone who donated to Art in Your Ear last week. Oh my God, you guys are wonderful. Bruce, Declan, Flea, Laura, Kathy, Tiffany, Harriet, Michael, Ethan, Lydia, Carolyn, and Shane. Thank you so much. I urge everybody to please support this wonderful community radio station. Uh, We didn't hit our goal overall, and we do need your help to keep this show and the arts, of course, on the air in the middle of the day, the best time slot, and to keep community radio live, local, independent radio thriving. So I urge you to call 813-238-8001. Or go online to the tip jar, wmnf.org, and give us some money. In the studio with me right now, I'm super excited to welcome back, as always, one of my favorite curators, men <laughs> about town, uh, Christian Viveros Fonet. I love saying your name. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel very classy to say your name. <laughs> I, I wish your, your response was everyone's response. It probably is, but they're shy. <laughs> and then also, whether, welcome to Art in Your Ear, Heather Gwen, Gwen Martin. Thank you so much for coming in. You have a show... Opening up tonight at the USF Contemporary Art Museum that Christian uh, uh, curated. How did this happen? How did it come to be that that you know that this dark chocolate and peanut butter came together <laughs> for something wonderful? How did it come to be, Heather? I, I, do, do you remember? Well, Christian had written an essay for a catalog for an exhibition I had um, in 2019 in New York. And so the relationship started there, and Christian had this brilliant idea, and I was very excited about. That is basically how it started. She had a show at Miles McHenry in 2019. She actually has a show at Miles McHenry now. She's 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 double barreling barreling it on on the eastern <laughs> seaboard because she's she's originally Heather's originally an LA, LA artist. She works. Well, who wants there. to make that five hour flight more than once? <laughs> there, there you go. So she so she opened last weekend. Fantastic show. Anyone who's in New York City is going up. Go see. Uh, Heather's show at Miles McHenry in Chelsea. What street is it? Twenty four. You know what? That's okay. We'll put the address on our Fine. on our thing. I appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah, so. yeah. Anyway, anyway. So and then you know again double barreling because she's down here this week and we're opening a terrific sort of two person show, two artist show at uh, at the Contemporary Art Museum um, USF uh, with. Helen Frankenthaler and Heather Gwen Martin. And that opens tonight. Was Helen Frankenthaler uh, someone who's been on your radar, Heather? Oh, absolutely, yeah. She's a big hero. I mean, not only to me, but I think to uh, many other artists of my generation, older, younger. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think she kind of surpasses all time limits. You know, she's a fantastic um, example of, of... Early American abstraction, and, and yeah, and sort of uh, there's this sort of very muscular kind of um, uh, I don't even know what the right words are. 
as a curator, you'll be better. The abstraction of like that we that what came out in the late forties and nineteen fifties was sort of like this real muscular, like in your face abstraction, and then. I'm not saying her stuff is not in her face, but there's this, uh, it, really she kind of, to me, changed, uh, was, the switch, that was the thing that flipped that switch into a new type of abstraction was her work. And I told you before the interview started, she was the first artist I ever discovered on my own. When we were kids, we'd wander around the museums a lot in New York City, and I found her work, and I just didn't, I didn't understand it, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, how did she come to you? Was it in art school, or was it before that? Did you always know about her? I feel like I've known about her for a long time. Um, I can't remember the first experience, but I've had several amazing ones. Just the, the physicality of her work, like there's a presence there that I really identify with, with a limited resources in a sense, you know. Um, she can make a piece with few colors, simple forms, and they're so powerful and strong. It's uh, pretty magical. Mm -hmm. And I would say that uh, this, that could also be said about your work, in that there's these, uh, there is a uh, a discipline to it, or a um, a hinting of there's something else, like there's more. You know, it's that they, when you see your work as with her work, and this is something that delights me in artists. When somebody makes me think, like, I'm looking into just the surface of some very deep water here when I look at a painting. And that's how I was feeling looking at your work, is that there's so much going on um, that you're hinting about. And I'm kind of wondering, as, a, as an artist, is that in your practice, like when you're creating work, it, is that sort of... Um, Restraint and uh, what's the opposite of restraint? Just kind of <laughs> whatever that would be, deluge. Like, will you talk a little bit about how you use that when you're creating work? Like the idea of restraint or overdoing it, and how you sort of how you build those canvases. Sure. I mean, I think of the the paintings starting from a place um, where there's a resonance of some sort of energy from a physical experience I've had or a relationship to um, people or space. And, and from that point, the painting starts to grow and there's sort of this environment created in my mind for, with a, a background color that gets laid down and, and becomes an environment for um, the, the work to grow in. And from that point of energy, I carry that throughout the work and the process is, is very physical um, and I speak about it sometimes as being sort of an endurance test because while they're restrained and somewhat limited in the amount of form and shape going on in the canvas, um, they take a long time to make. They're physically intensive. And throughout that process, I'm curious about the energy that was at the start, the energy required making it, and then what what like traces of that energy remain in the painting like when a viewer approaches it. And both in like responses to color, scale, and also what what a viewer brings from their own experience. Like the, the I'm curious about um, that there will always be something that's a little elusive, and that there's also something there that in that that um, others can grab onto. You know, and, as opposed to having um, 
something that I'd like to dictate or or have a specific end yeah. to, you know? You know, I had a, um, I had such an opposite experience of this the other day, and I'm just so, in a way, like relieved that you're saying this because I was speaking to somebody and, about their work, and they were sort of like, people see stuff in it that I don't, you know, they've just put their stuff in it. And I, <laughs> so when I put in it, I'm sort of like, that's art. Like, that's the whole point of art is that it's, it says different things for different people. You yeah. don't, you know, once you let it go. And they were not, comfortable with that they didn't like that and yet I'm hearing from you the opposite like it's you know you're gonna there's something in it but somebody else is going to almost take it to then another step away from you perhaps but it's another step because they start incorporating the art into their mind yeah for me that's the beauty of it that you can build a relationship of some sort similar to like in music or things like that you bring your own and and that's so so valuable because otherwise it just feels like an experience in me you know and I'm more interested in it being you know more out there the second interview today and dear listener I hope you also stick around for that is going to be involving a lot of dance and movement and uh, I think abstract art and and dance and movement have a lot in common in that they're not specifically telling you what to think or what to look at or what to do about this. Um, they sort of give more of the um, of it, like hand, not hand over, but sort of give more to the viewer and let them, you know, sort of tease out what they want to tease from it. Uh, so, I want Christian, what was it that brought together in your mind Heather's work and then Helen Frankenthaler's work? Like what was, I mean, there's obvious stuff, but I think you can find people making abstract art. There was something very specific that you wanted to do here. Yeah, you know, I, part of it was was finding echoes of Frankenthaler's lyricism, right? And and and, and finding, finding him in a way that isn't sort of like a straight line of influence. It's more like dropping Alka-Seltzer in a glass and having sort of atmospheric <laughs> stuff happen through history, right? Which is, I think, how... How uh, I mean, that's how I remember sort of experiencing Rothko when I was a kid, and maybe that's how Heather you experienced Frankenthaler, right? Um, uh, in your stud first, in, in in seeing work, and then your studies. Um, uh, but you know, the thing for me was was to again find something that wasn't a straight line, and and that also matched um, Frankenthaler's. Um, own sort of development. I mean, the the you were mentioning before. Um, you know, early Frankenthaler. What Frankenthaler does versus you know the old the the first version of Abex, the Pollux, um, uh, and the de Kooning's is she sort of classes up the joint. You know, she <laughs> she you know there, there's a lyricism to her work and a and a and a lightness to it. Mm-hmm. You know um, that you know takes uh, takes uh, um, American abstraction to another place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know I'm, I I find sort of an almost in an opposite way. Um, I, I find Heather's work working similarly in terms of its lyricism, but in an opposite way. And I think she undersold the physicality of the work that she does because it's actually sort of not just it's. I mean, I'm sure it's emotionally taxing at some level because working on <laughs> working uh, artistically can be emotionally taxing, but it's actually physically taxing. There's um, layers and layers and layers and layers. It, and there's ways she doesn't tape anything. You know, there's there's a significant <laughs> amount of wrist and the muscle involved. Mm-hmm. You don't see it, but I love that sort of like substrate of a story in in those pictures. Um, and I think it works really well. And I think oppositionally, they work really well. And the last thing I'd say about the the as it were the encounter, the set to between both of these artists, right? Um, one is sort of a clearly sort of a, a modern master, and then we basically have sort of a contemporary, contemporary master in the making. Um, but someone who who while working within the tradition of painting, right, um, 
is also uh, working within the new tradition of digital, mm-hmm. right? Because there is a derivation, there's a direct sort of like imp- influence uh, uh, on Heather's work from her previous work with, among other things, DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually look like splash pages if you sort of squint a little bit, right? And that's very <laughs> cool. That's very cool because it brings a completely sort of like analog reading to this thing that we think we know or we know well. And that analog reading of like the digital is far more reflexive. It makes you stop. It makes you think. And that's super important. You know, I was uh, the other day, I, I was I don't even remember what artist I was looking at. And I kept on thinking like, there's going to be a generate. there's generations now. At some point, there's going to be generations who have never lived in an analog world you know, or at least in the U.S. I mean, honest, uh, of course, there's places, I don't want to be like anti-global or anything, but for us and the people I know, you know, I, I grew up in a world before a lot of digital, massive stuff coming at me, but other generations haven't. And, and, I, and it's, there's an ease that um, practices have been incorporated. Uh, as Christian mentioned, you had worked as a colorist, uh, doing different things. Uh, do you do pre, like, do you sort of know when you're getting started, you put a base color on something? Do you know uh, the direction that you're going to be heading in when you're doing that? You know, or do you, do you wait and sort of just say, here's my canvas, I'm, I'm just working on this and I don't know where it's going to go? Because that's what, again, like in the digital world, eventually you always know have to where, you kind of have to know where you're going to go in a lot of ways. How does that, how do the canvases unfold for you? Well, there is more openness than that because I actually pointedly stripped any um, computer involvement in the whole process. So, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, there is this um, sort of seed of an energy or an experience that it grows from. Um, I will I will do like really fast, small pencil sketches in the sketchbook, tiny ones to think about the space and the balance, but there's a lot that um, evolves in the process responding to how each color relates to the other. Um, Say like a line that's traversing the whole canvas, um, it can, like the space where that line grows, so is that a shape or a line anymore? Um, Those subtleties of variation that are available with something that could be seen as set like a line going across really interest me in terms of creating the finished um, piece where each color is responding to the other and to the line to push and pull around um, to make an implied movement of space. I feel like the the works are these forces moving in and out of space backwards and forwards and potentially they could be flying out off of the canvas as well. It could be going on forever. So, um, yeah. And, and there's sort of a before and after. Like, there's the before I put this line on the canvas and now there's this after I put the line on the canvas and then the whole thing has to sort of react to this movement that you've made with your work. Right. They are fairly slow. Um, I mean, even the lines are are a lot slower in terms of applying the paint than than I think they appear when they're finished. So there is um, idea of thought and muscle memory moving into the the experience. So, uh, dear listeners, um, I want to let you know that that is. It might do I have the name even right? I sometimes just worry about 
everything. I'm Heather Quinn Martin and Christian Viveros Fonet, and they're talking about the lyrical moment, a show that's opening up tonight at the USF Contemporary Art Museum. There's a, a walkthrough and a, and a talk, a gallery talk tonight. I'm kind of um, so when you are creating these, do you? Um, is it important to you for the person who's who's looking at your art and who's standing there with your art to get the sense of your hand on them, of of that your strokes in it or did, do you want to be a little bit more anonymous as an artist? Does that, I don't know if that question makes sense. Like, How important is your hand in the work to you for people to see? Well, I think it's important in, in making them. And I think when you look at the painting from a distance, there's a very crisp, bold, like graphic quality. But when you approach the painting closer, there's a nuance of, yes, seeing the hand, seeing that the lines the, don't... The texture. Yeah, there's the a texture of the linen comes through. Um, there's some of the paint, the, the forms have a slightly more raised um, paint just minutely, which creates a different physicality. And, and they're not taped, so there is like there are many passes on some of the forms of paint. And so there's sometimes shifts between the layers that you can see when you look up close. So all that's very important because I want them to be seen as a handmade painting in the tradition of Is that linen? Why linen? Because linen is such a, um, it's not, it's there. Like when you use linen, it's, it, is definitely the texture is definitely part of, and the way it absorbs is definitely part of the piece. It's not a, it's not a neutral uh, canvas in a way. Well, yeah, I'm interested in the materiality of, of all the the paint and the the materials and the substrates, everything that I use. Yeah, it's it's deliberate. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. awesome. Well, talk. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the Frankenthalers. There, you, there was a gift to USF Contemporary Art Museum of. Was it ten prints and seven it, something? Like that? I don't no, remember. No, it's, it's ten prints. It's ten prints. We 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 got a loan of a couple of prints from Sarah Mort Richter, uh, who were uh, terrific collectors and supporters in the museum. Um, and then the other things were in the in the museum collection. Right. So we have twenty one um, objects uh, on paper prints uh, for for the Heller Frank, Frankenthaler part of the show, um, and they look absolutely amazing and beautiful together. Um, they cover the waterfront from, you know, uh, lithographs to uh, something called mixographia that I didn't know uh, much about. And we were just discussing that with Heather because the studio, uh, which is actually called mixographia, sort of developed this this process with uh, very thick handmade paper um, and lots of color. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anyway, uh, so that's, that's the, that's essentially the, the, the show, but, but, mm-hmm. but the genesis of the show, and maybe this is what you were getting at with your, with your question is really the Hello, uh, um, Frankenthaler Foundation gift, um, which was, uh, made to us a couple of years ago. And then frankly, we, we wanted to do this show or some version of this show. And then, well, just like everything else, <laughs> we got interrupted by the pandemic. <laughs> and, there you go. and exactly. So, so that, that's, and that's where we are right now. We're finally sort of like pushing off and having the show. We couldn't be. So, talk to me about yeah. seeing this work in conversation with each other. These two artists on the walls. Oh, it's fantastic! In conversation, yeah. what happened? Like you finally got the work together, which is very different from looking at the work separately, and very different from looking at the work digitally or on checklists. Yes. Or on checklists. Yeah. So you got the work, and it's up on the wall. Yeah. And then what? What's going through your head besides, oh my God, we're opening tomorrow. I need to get done. <laughs> exactly. And I need to know what I'm going to say. But, but here, here, here's the, here's the real reaction. It's like, oh my God, there are a lot more echoes and a lot more rhymes than I, than I thought 
existed, which is exactly what kind of like what? Sort of give, me a little, give me a little. Well, I don't know. There's there's a there, there's a set of uh, four pochoirs whose title, of course, I'm spacing right this minute, of uh, of Helen Frankenthaler's that are sort of hanging on a near wall, and um, uh, a painting called Bear. Uh, by uh, Heather, um, basically in the front wall as you walk into the lobby, and you just you just see sort of the the formal echoes, you know, mm-hmm. and and that was a a bit of a a shock, mm-hmm. a, a beautiful surprise, which is exactly what you want when you're making these kinds of pairings. I mean, we're we're going a little out on a limb because you know, again, there's no direct sort of like. Um, line of influence. You can't say that Heather basically just, you know, mm-hmm. chewed this stuff up, digested it, and there I go, uh, um, you know, from But Helen I don't think you want that. No, you don't. You don't want to say that. You want to say, like, think about this and think about that, right. and then that space in between the two is where everything, you know, the flowers blossom. <laughs> and the other thing that you sort of want to do, running for, for, for half a century, is show two artists, particularly two, fem- two female artists, at the two top. Two female abstract artists. Abstract artists, thank you, working at the top of their game, um, and inviting viewers to do this thing that you were describing before. There's a name for like actually seeing shapes and objects in the clouds that sort of matches the experience of seeing abstract art when it's really well done. It's paradoilia. I can barely pronounce it. But in any event, that's what it is, and that's sort of the experience. Those oh. are the narratives people read into these, mm-hmm. and, and, and you almost can't help it. You know, I, um, I've, dear listeners, I've told you this story before. Many, many, many years ago, I had this sort of awakening. I went to a Gerhard Richter exhibit at the Art Institute in Chicago. You studied in Chicago, right? Yes. And, um, and, and there was a moment when I was looking at his summer paintings when all of a sudden my mind shifted and, and went into a whole new place about looking at abstract art, whereas I admired it before, but then all of a sudden I was like, now I get it. You know? and, um, and I feel like this is one of those shows where people who are sort of abstract curious can go to it and, um, and be like, oh, oh, okay. You know, like sometimes there's artists that, that allow you to do that. And I feel like this is one of those shows because your work has so much, um, it has a lot of emotion and a lot of intellect in it, Heather, but it's not... Uh, it's not, um, look at me, look at me, I'm, I have a lot of emotion, I have a lot of intellect, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's sort of, it's just very, it's a very straightforward communication, and then everybody gets to decide what the communication is. Um, is there anything uh, that you want to let listeners know, like if they're looking at your work, you know, you think about this, if you're looking at my work, you know, here's like a little insight, is there anything that you think is helpful to people, or we just like... I prefer to let them run free, right, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I'm, I'm fine with people approaching it. If, if someone, you know, whatever they relate to is just lovely, you know, if I can provide or the paintings can provide an environment for any anything to come in and out, you know, of, of someone's thought or memory or experience or connection or enjoyment or, mm-hmm. I mean, I have an interest too in in um, the paintings in, in terms of like, Color and perception, the power of of colors like that that vibrate and move to to affect physically, you know, the visual system without like a, a real conscious effort. And so, like the pairing of that is like ideal if you have that, and then like a personal connection. That's like the sweet like best situation. Mm-hmm. But but you know, you don't always have that. But um, but I'm really happy if anyone responds and and you know takes away anything or, or has a a moment. You well, know. that's fabulous. 
breaking my heart. We are kind of out of time, um, but I just want to make sure that we mention, uh, once again, you do have a show in New York right now at, and what's the name of the gallery that is at? Miles McHenry Gallery. Miles McHenry. And uh, dear listener, we will put that information up on our page at Art in Your Ear on WMNF.org and our Facebook page. And then, uh, Christian, you've got the summer off or are you going to be... No, we're, 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 working, uh, we're working our fall show, which will be, which will be Jesse Murray um, uh, and Lisey Scavage. Wait, what? Yeah, we're having a Jesse Murray, who's a friend of Lisey Scavage, who passed away in 1995. Okay, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I was like, wait a minute. But, I was but like, then Scavage, dead? <laughs> that, no, no, well, Lisey Scavage is definitely right. not dead. Um, but so Jesse Murray's work and then Lisa, Lisa's work in the other gallery. Right, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and that's at the USF Contemporary Art Museum, located on the campus of uh, University of South Florida in Tampa. Tonight, there is a walkthrough at... 6.30? What time is it? I'm on the wrong 6.30. 6.30. Yeah. And then uh, on uh, the 7th of July, there's Art Thursday, a concert in the galleries, which sounds really fun. Uh, and then uh, on the 28th, this is great, a Art Thursday has a student-led tour, which is a really great way to sort of get the students, uh, you know, to hear from that point of view is is just great because I've I went I did the student tour I forget which show it was was it Bosco's yeah show Bosco's and show. and it was really fun because it was uh, different from it was complimentary to what we had talked about on the air right. but also they brought up their own enthusiasms and excitement about it so thank you both so much thank for coming so much. in thank you. thank you it was a pleasure talking to you always a charm I, I do hope that you if you're ever if you need to come back come back on the on the airways oh, thank you <laughs> so stay tuned uh, coming up next we're gonna be talking to the Art to Action uh, people and uh, about a project that they've got coming up called At the Water's Edge. Uh, right now we're going to listen to some Earth, Wind, and Fire. We're going to be featuring an Earth, Wind, and Fire cover band. Hang on. Earth, Wind, and Fire band uh, tomorrow at our Juneteenth celebration at the Palladium. You can call 813-238-8001 for tickets right now. Here you go, you guys. You're all a shining star.
be Shining star for you to see What your life can truly be Wow, shining star. Uh, and that again is WMF's Juneteenth celebration that is happening tomorrow at the Palladium. And you can get tickets for it. It's going to be a blast. Thanks to all who donated during WMF Summer Fun Drive. It was heartwarming to see so many of you give out of love for your station. If you missed it, it's not too late. Please call 813-238-8001 or hit up the tip jar at WMNF.org. Thank you. Well, I am so excited. I've got a full studio. I love having a full studio. Thank you, everybody, for coming in. Yay. Yay. Thanks for having us. So since we've got some new voices to listeners, what I'm going to do is ask each one of you to introduce yourself so they can discern the difference between your voices and say what your part of this project is. And my dear friend, Andrea, won't you start? Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to be on your show. Um, I'm Andrea Saff. I'm the Artistic and Executive Director of Art2 Action, which is a nonprofit arts organization based here in the Tampa Bay area. And I get to be, uh, I have the great honor of being the host and um, co-commissioner of this project and host for these wonderful artists and residents. And uh, I too am very excited to see the show. And then uh, Dora? Hi, thank you for the invitation. I will echo Andrea. I'm so excited about uh, being here today. And yes, my um, role in this project is um, co-directing it with Celeste Celeste Miller and also um, co-creating this project. Mm -hmm. It's Celeste. Hi, so great to be here. I'm Celeste Miller. I'm the co-director of the project um, with Dora and Andrea and Miroslava, who's not here right now, and two musicians, Chip Epstein and uh, Siki. Carpio. Mm-hmm. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> and it's a nice blast from the past because in the 80s, I used to perform in Tampa a lot. Oh, nice. <laughs> and did a lot of interviews for this show, so right. yeah. Nice, 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 wonderful. Well, um, it was so interesting because the... I've sort of walked away from doing two interviews in one show, but this is when everything is happening, so I wanted to do it. But then the more and more I looked at the work that uh, Heather, uh, who was the artist before, and then Helen Frankenthaler, and then looking at your work, there's so many similarities between what those women are doing and what these women are doing uh, with uh, and with dance. And I've, you know, and Dora, you heard this before, uh, Celeste, maybe you have. Dance, to me, um, there was a long time in my life I was kind of intimidated by dance because I thought I wasn't going to understand it. And then I would experience, like I would go to a dance thing and be like, oh, wait, I don't, of course I'm going to understand it. My body sometimes understands it and my like reptile brain sometimes understands it before the front of my being understands it. But it's like one of those things that you get from your bones and, and, the, and the communication in dance. Uh, and I feel like that's the same sort of abstract art is that there's this communication that's happening but it's more up to me to sort of understand the communication. It's not necessarily up to you to make me understand it. So I want to frame the conversation a little bit in what you all are, like what you're working towards with this. Uh, I mean, it, it's a beautiful, the m- women at the water's edge, Al Filo de Agua, um, shows part of the wall. Is that not part of the wall going all the way into the water? So the yes, wall is. that stretches along the southern border, this idea that we're going to keep certain people out and um, not necessarily keep people in, but keep people out. And then to have this dance movement in the water around it is so, it's beautiful, but it's also kind of a little tiny bit shocking, you know, in its way. It sort of, it makes you stop when you first see it. So will you talk a little bit about the genesis of the project, like how how it came to be and what you're, what you're, 
trying to put out there? What great questions. Um, and I want to start by just looking at that concept of dance. So I would say that between the three of us, we are uh, talking dancers. So you'll also hear word engaged with that. And I always think of the word as it could be subtext for the movement or the movement is subtext for the words. So it's a lot about looking at that integrated body that you're talking about. Um, so we create narrative both with our bodies and both through storytelling. The project came about uh, a dear common friend of ours, M.K. Wegman. Um, I was talking about collaborating and a new project, and she said, well, you know, Dora, I think that would be amazing for the two of you to walk together and I work together. And I had this image of my, in my head of At Water's Edge. So I came down to Tampa and we sat in the um, garden at the Dali Museum and we spent about an hour trying to define edge between English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it, um, in talking about edge, there's a, as a, a metaphor, of course, there's a million things that it could be, but even in a literal sense, there's a million things that it could be. And um, I don't know what it says about me, but like knife's edge is one of the first things mm-hmm. that I come up with. The idea that there is a, a sharpness and there's a decision and there is a, um, there is a dis- yeah, a decision that edges sort of bring on decisions, I guess is what I want to say. So then you sort of came up with the idea, what was the next step in this project? So the next steps after um, writing um, about edges and what is that mean metaphorically, symbolically, realistically, um, political and biopolitical and about body. and about, So it was so comprehensive, the amount of um, material that mm-hmm. we generated and we researched also. Researched <laughs> was before. there too much material? It was too much material. <laughs> it was, um, and then so the next step was to um, just to grab what resonated more with us, mm-hmm. more uh, what was more truthful in our work uh, as a, a interest and also themes that we would like to explore. And so border, the border came out uh, in the conversation. And so we went to Mexico. We went to the border and we collaborated with artists there mm-hmm. to explore, to continue exploring uh, what is the edge, what are the edges that you are um, crossing or stopping in front or wanted to um, uh, move forward. And the genesis of this project was still in a time... Uh, Donald Trump was still president. His yes. administration was definitely um, demonizing people at the border. You know, I mean, that was a, a very purposeful, nonstop, many years of uh, demonizing and dehumanizing people. Was part of this an idea that there would be to sort of rehumanize or, you know, I, I don't want to put you in the place of having to respond to a, a specific political moment, but it does... In looking at the video, and I mean, we talked about this a few years ago, like when the project started, looking at it, there's definitely sort of this this uh, otherness to what the narrative um, in 2019 was, you know, in 2020 was. So we talk a little bit about what, uh, when you were working with the artists in Mexico and when you were putting things together, what did you want, what did you want their bodies to be saying mm-hmm. as they moved? How did you want their bodies, what did 
you want your bodies to to uh, to develop for people? We started entering into personal narratives and um, legend narratives that place people, especially women, on edges where they have to make a decision. So a decision to leave, a decision to stay, a decision to stand up, a decision to be silent. And then looking at what are the forces on either side of that border, that edge, that either allow you to enter the power to be able to speak and to speak out or that keep you held back and unable to speak. And that's where we have landed up now is really thinking, being inspired by uh, Gloria Anzaldua, uh, talking about um, women who are in um, the sort of pantheon who have been either cast out of a paradise or choose to step out of a paradise. And the border really feeling in that way where you can feel so strongly who has made the crossing, how have they made the crossing, um, uh, uh, what, what, what's the impact for those you leave behind and what you go towards on what happens to you. And then how do those stories resonate uh, in your body? Were there surprises for you on what was coming out? <laughs> there are. There are many surprises, and particularly because um, in looking at um, these legends, this, um, and, and there is not a secret, I will say it. Uh, we're, looking, we're working with three uh, stories, the story of Lilith, the story of Siwatkoatl, uh, that is a deity from the... Mesoamerican or Aztec pantheon, mm -hmm. and is in relation to La Llorona, uh, that is a major figure around rivers and um, etc. And uh, another deity from um, the Mesoamerican culture that is that her name is Xochiquetzal. So those three, these three figures um, uh, tell the stories mm -hmm. from in from all uh, times, but also. Um, with our comments on them in the present time. So that's the surprise that is... I think, and and I'll, I will get a little political here for my, I think that it's um, surprising and sometimes disappointing that the battles that were fought centuries and millennia ago are still being fought. It's like, can we not learn? Can't we learn something? <laughs> Please, can we learn? And absolutely <laughs> for women and impacting women's bodies the most. Right, that's yeah. really what the piece keeps circling back to. Right, that that these are that that no no matter how people like to talk, that there are a lot of people that are okay with um, women being not like not a full person. You know, and that's and that that fight, 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 fight everybody against that. Um, Editorial over. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the process for making the work. And just as in talking to the um, Heather about her work, I kind of wonder if you all sort of think with your body, if that makes sense, if you have to, to understand something, if you have to, or, or do you not have to, but is, is making the move, does the movement open up things for you? Uh, do you have to, do you start with movement? Do you start, how do you start creating? I think we all start from various places. And so these... How do you start? How do I start? <laughs> yeah. So how do I start is, um, I start with the words. 
And then I deconstruct the words and see where they land in my body. Uh, so the movement is not my sort of, um, f- uh, you know, frontal cortex of my brain saying, oh, this movement goes with that, but feeling where a word lands in mm-hmm. my body. So listeners, you can't see this, but Celeste's forehead, chest, Mm-hmm. Solar plexus. Solar plexus, right? <laughs> uh, and then I will explore a movement. And uh, so I'm raising my arm to one side right now. So if I'm feeling like, oh, why, why am I doing this for exile? And then I go, oh, <laughs> what's here under my armpit? What, 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 what needs to be released in that place? Mm-hmm. And that tells me not only something unique about the movement I'm making, but also then I go back to the text and I say, oh, I just learned that exile comes from something that, that is hidden and is perhaps considered socially unacceptable, like an armpit. Mm-hmm. So both the writing and the movement begin to f- inform each other. So now do you, going back to your roots of knowing that you will be working in movement or or not working isn't the right term, that movement was an important expression. Did you find that that mode of understanding the world physically started you for dance, that it developed as you did dance? Like, I mean, that sounds like a very sort of specific understanding of the world. Um, did you have any choice about being da- in dance? No, <laughs> none at all. Absolutely none at all. Right. I knew I knew it from from forever. Right. And actually, that's that's my thing. Dance means so much to me in this sort of way, not in terms of learning steps or beats. And and I work with a lot of people who consider themselves non dancers because it's so important to me that body connection mm-hmm. uh, and to be. So I get very impassioned about what it means to be in dance. I define dance as movement aware of itself, practiced with intent mm-hmm. to make a basket get big enough that we can all uh, right. be in that space. I like that movement aware of itself. This is, a, this is a great moment for me to just say a little bit about um, how I know Celeste, which is uh, I, we first met at Jacob's Pillow when she was teaching a, a dance intensive and um, and uh, and Celeste was actually a mentor. I consider a teacher, someone I have learned so much from so profoundly for so long. And it is, it is such an honor to not only have her here in the, in the Tampa Bay community and be able to share Celeste's thinking and creative work and voice with our community here, um, but also just to um, continue witnessing this creative process and this collaboration and how it's all unfolding. Mm, that's wonderful. Well, it just seems that... Uh, to uh, to be able to communicate through movement and through intentional movement, and uh, it implies a a trust in yourself that I am not lying to the people watching. You know, like I'm not going to lie and misrepresent what I am doing. But it also implies a trust in the the person that you're with, in that you're going to be able to, um, you're going to want to be part of this movement. You're going to want to receive this movement. And I, I really like that sort of, that conversation between between people. Dora, what about you? Where does, where, where does the movement come in your life? How does it get started in your creative process? Are you movement first? Are you words first? Are you what first? I am movement first, mm-hmm. actually, but I am a theater artist. Right. So um, I'm, Although I'm, I'm working with choreographers and dancers, my my field is theater, when, in physical theater. So when we first, when you were on the show before, you talked a lot about spatial awareness and being in space and reacting to that space that you're in. Yes, and that that aspect is um, we can call it a ritual. Mm-hmm. And find this find to find the structure of movement in relation to space and time. 
And, and I am pretty much looking at what are the rituals for this mm-hmm. um, work. And we can say that personal rituals, of course, and more than personal rituals. What, what is beyond my my mm-hmm. my, my uh, private ritual and and um, and why? So the aspect about uh, healing is not denying in this work. We're looking at you know we're talking about these places that are so contested in this moment and people around these places that we are we're, we wish to have a place that these areas can be healed the waters can be cleaned um, mm-hmm. women's again um, justice to, to women to everybody so that aspect I think through our movement and rituals um, that we want to um, uh, explore and have uh, uh, is with the intentions to bring the message of hope and, and uh, to to have a better place to live. Well, and putting it out there, sort of it makes it a thing to the world, like now this is possible because we've shown you what it can be, you know, a way it can be, not hope is, hope and good things and healing happens in multiple ways, but here's a way that we can do it. And it sort of anchors that hope into the world rather than it being in your heads. Now it's externalized and there's this externalized hope and healing that, that can happen. In it, I want to. Um, we have more time, but I just before we get, I don't want to miss talking about the actual facts. <laughs> so, because I, listeners, I've got like a couple of emails from people going, "Well, where is it? What are we doing? When is this?" So, will you talk about? So, on Thursday and Sunday, this will be going on. Andrea, would you sort of give the the, the facts, ma'am? Nothing but the facts. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am. Um, so, at Water's Edge, El Filo del Agua will be at the Museum of Fine Arts in Saint Petersburg. Um, on June 23rd and June 26th. Uh, the 23rd is a Thursday evening, and the 26th will be a Saturday matinee. And you, we highly encourage pre-registering because the space is limited. It'll be a site-specific performance in the Sculpture Garden. Mm-hmm. So because of it's in the Sculpture Garden, we have to limit how many people right. can go in. So uh, you can register through the MFA website or through our website, arttoaction.org, uh, for either the Thursday night or the um, Sunday matinee show. And we'll have those links up. Up on, I think we've got them up on our Facebook page, but we'll have all the links up on our Art in Your Ear page on WMNF.org and the Art in Your Ear Facebook page to make it easy for everyone. And if I remember, Instagram. <laughs> Poor Instagram. <laughs> I always forget about Instagram. <laughs> so so I, when you're doing work that is site-specific, uh, and that, you know, talking about space, and then that space has greenery in it, it has uh, stone parts, it has non-stone parts, there's open to the street, you know, with, with, through gates and stuff like that. How, how does that get um, folded into what you're doing? Is it um, exciting to have it? Is it like, oh, crap, what am I going to do with this? You know, like, how, how does that happen? We were looking for a site until we we've uh, found it so we're happy that right, yeah. we're like yes this is 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 contained it's open because it has no right there's roof. no roof no, yeah it's got the sky um, but we were looking for a space that um that in some way somehow we we want to um change it magically i mean mm-hmm. theatrical and right. and the potential of doing that with voice, with music, with movement to kind of change the nature of the garden to bring some kind of I will use the word 
magic mm-hmm. and it's also at the same time he has a, the gate there and it's, it will be closed. Right. Nobody will come. Exactly. In. That's what I was thinking. Iron iron gate, yes. you know, that's not the same as the wall um, that goes into the sea, the Mexican wall that goes into the sea, but they, they call back and forth to each other. Yes. You know? Um, I, I want to tell uh, folks a little bit more about what they'll experience when they come because this work has been created through a site-specific process from from the very beginning and, of course, studio time too. But um, we so we have taken uh, video and film footage along the way. So you'll also see um, some of the images of exploring the work in the different sites um, along the U.S. border wall that cuts into the sea in, in Tijuana, Mexico. As you mentioned, but we also just a week ago <laughs> were in Baja California uh, filming at the edge of the sea uh, for uh, and and so you'll see some of that beautiful footage as well. Wow, that sounds wonderful. This just sounds so. It sounds magical, and because I mean I've, I'm somewhat familiar with your work, and Celeste, I feel. I'm trying, is it the Storm King Center? Did you do a dance project at the Storm King Center or somewhere? I can picture in New York. Um, somewhere that I saw a film for, but um, yeah, well. but it was a project that you did, and I yeah. was watching it for this. When I knew this interview was set, I was watching it, and it was it was so. What interested me was that um, I think there's times where it looks like movement can happen in any location, but it didn't look like that. It looked like it could happen there and nowhere else, mm-hmm. and that so that organic this grew out of the space rather than this is being a. In, imposed upon the space. I think COVID has a lot to do with this, actually. Right. So during COVID, for dancers, oh. the studios are gone. Right. The theaters are gone. The only spaces we have are our bedrooms, our living rooms. Maybe we could get outside. And suddenly the whole notion of where can dance take place gets uh, questioned. I made so many dances in my living room. I even mm-hmm. made dances in a hospital room. <laughs> I mean, just it just like really having to re-understand that and to not feel oppressed by, oh, I'm in my living room, I'm not in the studio. Right. And then to say, I, but, but I've got to dance, right. I've got to move, I've got to make something that is worthwhile mm-hmm. and something that matters, at least to me, because if it matters to me, hopefully it will re- reach out and matter to others. And I think also our all of our senses of space change, right? So during COVID, we kind of, we mapped out our homes. This is the vacation spot. This is the mm-hmm. eating spot. This is, you know, so we have a whole different relationship to that. And we, when we started talking about where this would take place, Thora and I both kind of, at the same moment, kind of like, I don't want to be in a theater. Right. You know, it's just really shifted. Like, what is it about a theater that actually becomes a barrier? Mm-hmm. You know, certain people feel comfortable that they can go there. Certain people, other people... It's it's not within what they want to where play the place they want to be. So how can we tap into the fact that all of us had to reevaluate, reposition, reimagine the spaces that we were in? And honestly, if you're in your living room and you can't make a dance nestled inside your own life, then that's its own barrier that you have to come over and say, why can't I make a dance about my life? Like right here, this is naked. This is it. Yep. So so I think in a way. Um, very healthy during the uh, the first year of the pandemic when musicians figured out going online and then art institutes figured out going online. It was interesting. It, there was a little bit of a lag because theater people were doing it, and then the dance people were kind of like, "Okay, maybe we should try this." And it I think exposed people to dance who was n- who had not 
thought themselves as someone who would watch dance before. You know, I mean, I think it created new audiences because it was less intimidating and it was like, oh, oh, this is beautiful. Or, oh, you know, I mean, I remember my cousin saying, I, she watched something and I don't remember exactly what it was, but she's like, I was weeping and it was dance, you know, and that was, and I, she never would have watched, I mean, I know her, she's a lovely person, but she never would have watched dance before, mm. but she did, why not? And so, yay. Um, we are actually almost out of time now. <laughs> um, and now I want to, I want to find out if there's anything that you absolutely want, sorry, <laughs> I know. Just well, another, I just, just, I just hour. <laughs> want to acknowledge that um, having Dora in this piece is also wonderful because uh, Dora is uh, a, a professor at the University of South Florida School of Theater and Dance, and so she's Tampa-based, but also is the artistic director of a company in Tijuana, Mexico, called Mujeres en Ritual Danza Teatro uh, that has more than, what, 22 years of history now mm -hmm. of making work about women's experiences at the border, and and so um, the fact that this is a binational collaboration and that it's been created over time and through multiple sites, and it's just really exciting to be able to have this happening here and share it with the Tampa Bay community. And I also want to give a shout out to the MFA St. Pete because they have oh. been an amazing partner and we're so excited to work There's with them. There's so many good people that Absolutely. work there. It, it is, um, I am, I sneak off to the museum all the time. It is my happy place. So, uh, so I hope everybody also can sneak off to the museum and the happy place at Water's Edge, Al Filo de Agua, Agua um, is on the 23rd and the 26th of June at the Museum of Fine Arts in St. Petersburg. You can go to the mfastpete.org or artstoaction.org to get more information. And again, we will put that up on our website and uh, and social media so you can get it. Both of both of you, thank you so much. You, Andrea, so good to see you. It's wonderful to see you. Always I'm glad to see people. Um, and thank you so much for coming on. And please, if you're doing anything in this area, please just give me a shout because I'd love to welcome you back on the show. It's just wonderful. Coming up next is Elove. She's getting her show ready. Beautiful global electronic music to take you into the afternoon. I see Ken wandering around here. So we have our live music showcase in-house today if you like live music. This afternoon later, after that, we've got Reverend Billy and Marvo Smarv. Great reach into the roots of rock and roll, gospel, uh, country, early rock and roll, comedy. You just absolutely never know what's going to come out of those guys' mouth. And then we dive into the afternoon with, uh, uh, into the early evening with a soul party, classic RB and soul, followed by the Soul Kitchen, which of course features all sorts of uh, rhythm-based and uh, black artist music. Just amazing show. And then we end our night with Flor Flashback Friday, uh, Florida R&B, Florida Soul. Thank you all so much for everything. I appreciate so much you being here. You've been listening to Art in Your Ear on WMNF 88.5, uh, WMNF Tampa. We'll go out with a little tiny bit of uh, Chip Epstein's music uh, for that is in part of this. And um, thank you all. Uh, my name is Joan Schilke. I am the hostess who loves you the mostest. Stay tuned for NPR News. We'll be right. Um, see you next week. Bye-bye.